Welcome everybody to the Outside Edge, a podcast for extreme athletes, from extreme athletes, and everything in between. I'm your host, Dave Briscoe. Joined by my producer on this thundery, rainy afternoon in Central Florida, Mikey Lee. Hello, everyone. Uh, it's uh, it's raining like hell out there. It's raining, man. It's back. Summertime's back. I love it. Um, I don't know, though. Do you think that it's going to keep going, or do you think this is just kind of a, a wet day? You know, we, I don't know. We had one cold day yesterday. Yes, and, it was so nice. Oh, it, it, was it was the day before yesterday, day actually. before yesterday. That's yeah. right. And my neighbor has got... I use all my neighbor's lawn equipment. Yeah. And he used to be a lawn care guy, like full-time. That was his main gig. Yeah, sure. Uh-huh. And then he, he's he got... He had some health problems. He's getting older. He's got COPD pretty bad, and he's got some other stuff. So... I use all his equipment still, and I sold all my stuff years before because we help each other out with projects. So I'm walking over to get the lawnmower the other day, and I noticed that his bushes are growing into his soffit and up over the roof. Ooh! And I'm like, oh man, he's giving me free stuff. I, you I probably ought to give him yeah. a hand. I yeah, probably yeah, ought to yeah. give him a hand. So I said, hey, we call him Dirty. His name's Kurt, but we call him Dirty. Yeah. And uh, I said, Dirty. I said, today's the day. We got to get this done. And he goes, no, 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 David, I'm, I'm having a couple drinks. I'm, I, I, I said, I said, Dirty, come here. I, I brought a chair. I sat him in the chair. I said, you just sit right there and you tell me what to do, what, where you want me to cut, where you right, don't. Yeah. He couldn't handle it. He couldn't handle it. He takes it out of my hand. We got her done, though. We yeah. got her done. But got it, it done. That's it. That's the last cool day we're going to have, I think. Oh, yeah. That was definitely the last yeah. cold blast. So uh, it's going to start getting warmer for sure. Uh, everybody's doing home projects like that. Yeah. I, did, I put a new doggy door in in the pool cage out here, Yeah, uh, which is pretty awesome. Uh, I want to get out there eventually, and I guess we got to break up that damn concrete pad. Yeah, we'll whack it away. That, that'll be We'll get our aggression out. That's I've, the worst idea ever. You're oh, saying no, it, to take a sledgehammer and beat break the through, shit out of it's concrete. It's got to be like six inches thick out there four, at least. Four, probably. No. Yeah. You it, think? Even if it's six, it's concrete. Con- concrete is... You know, so this is a big deal to me. I grew up building houses in New England. Yeah. And they're all, you know, mainly wood structure homes. When I spent time in Europe, I went to Italy. I went to France, you know, all over Europe. But in Italy, they build everything out of concrete. Everything. Uh But there's a fault zone in Italy. There's a major fault zone like there is in California. So they have earthquakes all the time. You know what concrete doesn't do well with? Earthquakes? Earthquakes. Yeah. When earth shifts, the concrete's brittle and it breaks up. Once you... Once you manipulate the support of concrete, it can easily break, but wood will bend to it. It'll flex yeah. to it. So, and so you, will steel. Yeah. Well, to an, to, to, extent. A, to an extent. Yeah. Yeah. We're better than concrete. Right. It won't just break up and right. fall apart. But you got to think about this too with what you just said. Rome is in Italy. Yeah. And there's like the Colosseum. That's uh, all, all falling of, apart. Yeah. After thousands of years, sure. it's still standing. It's made out of wood, still be there. <laughs> I don't think that's right, sir. I don't think that's right. There's got to be something with concrete that makes it stay that long. If you put steel in it and you put reinforcements in it, but concrete just does not do well in yeah. unstable ground and environment. That's why it's easy to break up with a sledgehammer. I don't think that it's... I think that you You'll keep see. saying it's we'll video easy. It. I think you keep saying it's easy yeah, to break it, up well, with a sledgehammer. It's not easy, but it's a workout. It's, yeah. it's it's better than going to the gym. You can go beat the piss out of it. Yeah. <laughs> you beat the piss out of it until your eyes turn yeah. blue and uh, your blood... Bloody... It'll, it, it'll be like you on like, a bicycle. It, <laughs> I hate you, by the way. Um <laughs> We what got somebody calling right Who now. Who is it? This is Mark Overby. Oh, really? I'm, let's answer this. Okay. We're live on the podcast. Yeah, we'll hey, Mark. What's happening? 
What is shaking, Brother Dave? Wow, this is ironic that you called right now. Mike and I are in the middle of a podcast. You are live right now on our podcast. And I am answering the phone. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that crazy? You call, (laughs) and we're sitting here talking about sports and how there's no sports going on right now and there's nothing to do. And the, you know, I was about to segue into some talks of China. And uh, you, you went to China last year or two years ago, was it? You went and saw Hong Kong for the first time. I did. And as I was flying in there, I'm flying over a bunch of lakes that look much like lakes we have in Minnesota, thinking to myself, Oh, would those be awesome for water sports? And yet, they got no ramps, no infrastructure. It's essentially like the United States was back in the 50s. And long before boating ever got popular. And so, you have what looks like some pretty awesome opportunities. And they're totally, totally pristine at this point. Nobody's taking advantage of any of that. I was, so, do you, first of all, let me ask you, do you mind being on the podcast for a second? I'm not going to ask you anything too incriminating, I promise. And we can edit it too. If you... As long as long as you made that, uh, as long as you coached it that way, I'm I'm good with it, of course. Yeah. Absolutely. So <laughs> well, you got you got to tell people who this is. So like this I... is so yeah. I, I usually introduce everybody before they come on the podcast. But ladies and gentlemen, for the, those of you that don't know, this is Mark Overby. Mark has been very influential in the sport of water skiing for the last well, let's just say a, a long time. Very influential for a very long time, and uh, he started the company called Moomba. Mike, you've heard of Moomba Boats. Yeah, yeah, we've talked about it on the podcast. Yeah, Yeah. so Mark actually started Moomba Boats in 1987. Uh, He went on to start the Gecko Boats in 1994, Uh, and he and I have been, you know, close in the industry for years, and we've actually... uh, been introducing other projects in the past few years but uh the, what i want to talk to you about mark right now because we're, we're talking about the coronavirus and the covid19 and you know my thoughts are that china's got a lot to do with this and uh first before we get into that part of it i want to talk about when you went there and you called me uh right at, when you got back and you said wow you don't even understand the infrastructure on what they've built out there and how it's changed <clears throat> sorry Oh, it's changed over the last 10 years. Can you help our audience know a little bit about that to start with? You're talking about boat building in China? Not just the boat building, the country. How how you were so blown away with the construction and the buildings and how you know they would build one one unit for people that could afford, say, $500 a month. And then the next year, they'd build a whole new building right next to it, move those people over and abandon the other building. Yeah, so as a kid growing up in Minnesota with uh, heavy Scandinavian influence and, and a, a pretty cohesive group of lookalikes across the entire population from young to old, you know, my, my opinion of people in China were that these are these are people eating dirt sandwiches, making $3 a year. And when I got over there, it didn't look at all like that. It looked like it was a very, very modern place and everything from cars to fashion to architecture looked very much on par with the United States. I was blown away. I, I, it wasn't at all what I expected. And yeah, where I was, you saw Ferraris and Lamborghinis going down the freeway, but at the same time, you might see a guy in an ox cart also (laughs) using the same freeway system. So right. Carrying a ladder, right? Didn't you see one guy? (laughs) And you saw, yeah, you saw this bizarre collection of, of ancient, ancient lifestyles and cultures all kind of meshing in a modern day world. And yeah, it was bizarre to see a guy on a 
90cc motorcycle carrying a 20-foot extension ladder. <laughs> How those guys would navigate turns is beyond me. And, of course, you did see a guy carrying a hundred chickens, let's say, again, on a bicycle. Wow. These, these are some ingenious people. And I was just, I was blown away. The food was spectacular. They don't, they don't have canned foods over there. They don't have any preserved foods. What you're eating over there predominantly is stuff that's fresh. And so their farm to table process is far more advanced than it is in the United States. I, I, I hate to use the word advanced because it's not necessarily advanced. It's just they preserve a, a cultural lifestyle that served them well for centuries but a large separation right i mean if you're seeing ferraris and lamborghinis and then and then the ox carts i mean that's an obvious huge separation between the the status quo of the people oh absolutely absolutely there's a huge gap between the haves and the have-nots and it's a small percentage of people that are the haves of course but when you have a country that's got billions and billions of people even a very small percentage looks like a lot which which it is i think i was blown away so mark and i actually um were uh involved with some chinese culture for about a year and a half and uh, i I got to know some of the workers that were over there and i got talking to them about well the ones that could speak english not a lot of them could speak english while they were in the united states but when i did get into discussions with them about what it was like over there i was blown away how like let's say that you're you work on engines. And a lot of times when you're going to school, it's designated what you're going to learn and, and what classes you're going to go take. So now you you finish schooling and you are going to go work on engines or you're going to go work on houses. Or you're going to, so if you're an engine specialist, they might ship you 2,000 miles away from your house. And, wow. And you live in a dorm room. Because they tell you where you're going to work. Well, that's they, the they only look, work. Yeah. That's the way a communist country it's, works. It's, they go, it, we need more engineers. We need more house correct. builders. Yeah, yeah. Right. So they might have to go 2,000 miles away from their home. They live in a dorm room. They work in 14 to 15 hours a day. And the only time they see their family, their kids. Now you think about this. This is probably 20 to 30, let's say 20 to 40s, right? That's in that, yeah. that, that gap. And they are only seeing their kids, their wives, their families on Chinese New Year for two weeks a year. Wow. And that's the only time they see each other and they're packed back up and they're shipped back out to go work again. And let's not forget, before this coronavirus thing started, two months before this started, they were rioting in the streets over there. And personally, what I think is happening is they're going through their same industrial revolution that we went through in the 20s. You know, when when the Carnegie uh, Steel Factory was trying to make their workers work, you know, 14 to 15 hours a day and they started picketing, they actually got shot. And eventually, you can only push a human spirit so far. Right. And they pop. And China's definitely been going through some of this. They've been going through their pains, and they can't afford to feed the people they have. Um, yeah. But they keep popping them out. They keep popping up. Well, they, they, they were. <laughs> well, go ahead, So there's, some, there's something else about. So you mentioned the dorms. And, and again, growing up where I grew up in the Midwest, and perhaps like a lot of Americans, you have this image of holy cow, you have the, the governments working these people to the bone and they make them, they force them to live in these dormitories. And, and what you said is all true. The, and I don't know if there's an exception to that. However, the factories that I visited, there's a waiting list to live in the dormitory. That was the place that the workers wanted to live. They had uh, direct access to where they worked. In other words, you could go downstairs or upstairs depending on the dormitory location to to where you work and so they saw that as a as a huge convenience they also had 
food and the things that they like to do and we're all centrally located keep in mind the average chinese guy does not own a car he might have a bicycle if he's lucky so it's not like here where hey give me an hour i'll go to the grocery store the hardware store the car store whatever you need is is available to go and get in your car and travel to it over there they don't have that luxury so they see living in a dorm as a as a wonderful convenience and the food service in these dorms because it's part of the factory is pretty fantastic and so well i originally saw that as i can't believe they force their people to live like this to having my eyes open and understand that they they like it the other thing is to to your point dave is these people are what i call non-recreators um because a lot of them are riding bicycles for work and transportation you don't see recreational bicycling going on right and you don't you don't while while there might be parks these are people that don't like being in the sun because uh and this is an interesting thing that i learned and that is they don't like being in the sun because you might get tan and if you're tan in china it means you're a laborer and you work outside and heaven forbid you'd look like a laborer a guy that worked outside yeah, yeah it so, used to be that way uh, here. I mean, it used to be that way. Well, well not here, but in, in, in Europe. I mean, that's an old, old, old status thing. Uh, they, like uh, fat people, or, you know, the rich were yeah, fat. Yeah. They were fat and they were super pale. And that sure. showed, that was a sign that they were uh, yeah. upper class yeah. uh, because they had enough for money for food and they didn't have to go outside. They were pale and fat people. So it sounds like China is still stuck in that. Well, uh, if they all look the same, system. sure. They all, I mean, I hate to say it like that. I don't mean to sound chauvinistic but they, or racist, but they do all look the same, many, many of them. Wow. You don't have, wow, you know, Dave, wow. Well, I mean, you look at America, right? We have we have our Puerto Rican. Uh, you have your Spanish. You have your Mexican. You have oh, it's your African American. Yeah, you can say and, it's and not everybody very looks different. So you can't just look at a guy and say, "Oh, he's a he's a laborer." Yeah. You yeah. know. So, so yeah, the, that's an interesting thing. Yeah, the first day I got there, it was a beautiful sunny day, maybe 75 in the morning. And I, there was a driver that was going to pick me up. And so I'm standing outside waiting. And it's in a downtown area. And there's people all over, of course. And they all, I shouldn't say all, a lot of them, high, very high percentage had had umbrellas, particularly the women. No and for the sun. So the, dri- the driver shows up and I go, is it, is it going to rain today? <laughs> and uh, he goes, no, no, no. It's just, it's a sunny day. And I'm like, okay, then it's a sunny day. It only makes perfect sense then that you'd get your umbrella out. And it was very much in keeping with, I need white skin. I don't want to look like a laborer. I want to look upscale. And so there, there are some things culturally that are, are kind of mind blowing for guys like us, Dave, and, and, and perhaps for everybody that's there in your studio, we have things we all like to do when we're not working. Yeah. And your average Chinese person uh, doesn't necessarily see the world that way. And I guess if that's the, all you know, if that's all you've known your whole life, I mean, they've been a communist country for yeah. you know, generations. So do they have days off? I mean, surely they don't work seven days a week. Or are they, is it 10 hours a day, seven days a week? Is that how it works? If, if you can. So the factories that I visited, and I, and I spent some time in multiple factories, the factory owner told me repeatedly, he goes, if I, if I don't offer my best employees overtime every week, they leave and go find other jobs. These people live to work. And wow. yeah, so it's there. It's not like us where it's like you look out the window every day, you check in the wind, the temperature and whatever. And you're like, I'm going 
riding today. I'm going to go surfing today. I'm going to go water skiing, ride my bike. I'm going to play golf, whatever it is. Your average American lives for that and looks forward to it over there. They don't. Now, is and, that, do you think that's because of financial gain? I mean, in a communist country, how much financial gain can you get? And what are they doing yeah. with that extra money? Yeah, because somebody here in America would work hard. You know, okay, I get 40 hours a week, but if I can get overtime, I get extra money. I can put that away. I can invest it. I can buy a home. Uh, in China, is that is it the same? Because it doesn't seem you like... You can't buy a home. Nobody can't owns buy, property. Yeah, nobody owns property there. What, what are they working the extra hours for? So a couple things. If you look at their culture, and in particular... The, the Chinese keep in mind that, that, and this was a mind blower for me, China's almost the same size as the United States. I thought it was 10 times larger. It's not, it's, it's rough for, for landmass wise, landmass wise. Yeah. And once you get away from the coast, it's you're, you're traveling a, a big distance inland, but you're also traveling a big distance time wise. And so you don't have to go very far inland before you get into these, these, I don't want to call them remote areas because they're not necessarily remote. They got lots of people, but they are stuck in a timeline that's hundreds of years ago. In sure, other words, almost heavy, third world. Yeah, it's it's it is third world, and so you have the people that are working in the cities that are making money, sending a lot of their money back home to the family to try and bring the whole family's lifestyle up to a more acceptable level. And so the other thing is that these people live on top of each other. They're 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 spatial social distancing over there today is is probably really challenging for them because they're used to living in very small apartment type buildings and they're stacked on top of each other. Very yeah. few people have their own their own homes per se and uh, as a result, you know, there really isn't an, an advantage to having your own home unless you have your your larger extended family living with you because they're, that's that's a, to a large degree how they live. It's not like over here where, hey, I want to have a home. I want to have some space. I want to have my my space. That's that's not how they live. And I don't know that I ever really saw any sporting goods stores or anything like like that. Uh, you don't see people recreationally running or jogging. You don't see anybody enjoying outdoor sports. And so, even if they had the the uh, the available funds to go outside and enjoy something, there's not a lot for them to do. So that brings so, up a question for me is, uh, I know you guys were working with a Chinese company to make boats. So do they just sit around? Cause I, you know, they probably make soccer balls. They probably make footballs. You know, they probably make baseball bats, things that you would use outside bicycles. Um, and obviously they make boats, but none of them use it. So you don't see anybody out on the boat, like just going out going fishing and having fun unless it's like literally fishing for food. Yeah, exactly. Unless it's a commercial operation, you don't see it. Keep, keep this in mind too. You can't pull a trailer. So you're not allowed there, to, or you just don't. Have yeah. It. You, as a, as an individual, uh, you never, I mean, you never saw anybody pulling a trailer like you do here where you can just go to U-Haul or you can own your own utility trailer or have a boat or motorcycles or anything that you'd have on a trailer in the United States and just take it for granted. Wow. Not not permitted. See, we had now, this conversation last night, Mark, at, at my house. And, you know, some of the people in America, they, they have this empathy or this sadness for the people in other countries, but they really don't completely understand what the life is like. Everybody tries to compare it to the way we live in America. And that's where I have a hiccup with so many American people feel this empathy and sadness that they need to, Oh, we're not treating them right. They are not, this isn't fair for them, but it, they, it, you're not comparing apples to apples at all. Right. 
So check this out. You can't buy extra gasoline. In other words, you can go to a gas station and you can buy fuel for your car. But if you were to pull out a five-gallon gas can, much like I've got six or eight of them in my garage, and I know you have a bunch, and everybody sure. probably listening to this has got a two to a five-gallon can or six or whatever in their garage, no such luck over there. You cannot have extra fuel. Wow. And I don't know if it's because of security about people maybe creating Molotov cocktails or, or whatever, but it's just like the trailer thing. It, you know, I, I remember when we went to test boats, uh, they had a couple of guys dedicated to going to get fuel and just the whole getting fuel process is a big deal. And so just to give you a glimpse of that, when we had to go test boats, we had to get a huge truck, uh, much like a semi, but a continue like a giant flatbed and imagine a flatbed that you can put a 23 foot boat on. And so you had to crane the boat oh my up God. on top of the flat boat. Then he had to take the whole thing to the to the gas station and, and put gas in it. Now, because these guys were a yacht builder, they had special permitting where they could actually get gas. But it was a very, uh, very protracted process to get fuel. You didn't see gas cans all over the place like you might see in a boat builder today where you just take for granted. Hey, I got to put gas in the boat. and Therefore, I just go get five gallons and dump it in. That's crazy. That's, that's just not happening. So the and, guys, the guys that you do go out and test these boats with, they've got to be like, are they, they, do they see it strictly as a business or do they actually see the fun oh, yeah. in it too? Like, like when you go out, uh, for instance, that pontoon that you, uh, had here, uh, d was, that was made in China, correct? It you was. Know? Yeah. 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 Yep. So, so that, so whenever you go out to test that, um, do they like, oh man, this is awesome. This is so great. We're excited you're here. We're all going to go out and have a good time and test this boat out. Or are they like strictly business? This is business. Uh, don't, it, don't hit it too hard. We don't want to have any fun. I mean, how is, what is that experience like? So here, here's kind of an interesting thing. I, I, I love the people and everybody I met over there was, was intelligent. They were nice. They were, if, if had they been born in America, they would have been just like the rest of us and we would have enjoyed their company and, and all their unique qualities, but they were born in China and, and, and I'm not hammering the Chinese way. It's just, it's just different. And it's right. centuries old and it's, and it's, it is how they've evolved. And, you know, if, and the other I, yeah, thing is, you know, I, I don't feel bad. I'm with you, Mark. I don't feel bad for the people, the workers. I do have a problem with the communist government and the mentality of the, the dudes, the haves. Well, hold on. The before before oh, yeah. we get into all of that, I really want to know, yeah. do they have a good time? Do they know how to have a good time? That's my they, question. They don't have. So when I get over there, before we went out in the water, they, they said, hey, we think we got this figured out. This boat <laughs> makes a great wave at about 23 miles an hour. Surf I'm wave. Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, okay, great. I can't wait to see that. And <laughs> Surfing, Mike. So, we, so the fastest you can surf is about 11 to 12 miles oh, an hour. Oh, but they got it up to 23. They said, oh, it has a beautiful surf wake at 23 miles an hour. We're <laughs> and like, you're going, uh, uh... <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So keep going, Mark. Yeah. So we get over there and. And the thing is, these guys are all good guys and they're intelligent. So the thing is, a bunch of them are naval architects. These are people that have been trained in universities. They're very intelligent people. They get it. They understand boat building. They understand what it takes to construct products in terms of an engineering perspective. And, and But when you say, hey, I need a boat that goes through the water between, like Dave said, 10 and 12 miles an hour, and it creates a, a wave that you can surf on, they've got no idea. 
they're they're you're not surfing because in China they're not recreationally anywhere. doing it they're not right. yeah they're not so, chasing that that rabbit that we chase of yeah. fun exactly so now it's not to say surfing doesn't exist in china but you don't see any cars with surfboards on them and there's no surfing lifestyle it's not like over here where a lot of americans aspire to a surfing culture it doesn't exist over there so the chances of those guys even seeing uh, a surfing magazine or much less seeing an actual surfer the the chances of that are nil so they're 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 going by some mental image that they have in terms of what the objective is and uh and to a large degree they they're applying what they know to uh the whole the, the whole boat building process which is i i uh I kind of liken it to a to an analogy that Dave I, I know I've shared with Dave, shared with Dave and that is I love eating chocolate chip cookies, <laughs> but but you don't want to eat any chocolate chip cookies that I've made just because I enjoy them and I like to eat them doesn't mean that I have any expertise whatsoever in making them. And, <laughs> right, right. And so to some degree, that's what you get. And and the companies that have been successful in building in China are those companies that have uh, people from the U S or Europe or whatever that actually live in China, work in the plants and oversee the production so that what the factory is indeed producing is, uh, what the consumer is expecting when it's done. And if you don't have that oversight, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. One, one thing I do want to share with you, cause it points to what Dave is talking about. So their freeway systems are spectacular and, one of the, a couple of things struck me. So we're driving down this freeway and it's, it's kind of like in a suburban out, ring outside the city, but in between the lanes going different directions, there was, there were these flower beds and these flower beds are sometimes huge and spectacular, but they went on for miles and miles and miles. In other words, you had to have uh, an irrigation system to make it work, which meant that there were Chinese people that were out there, pruning the flowers and watering them every day for literally hundreds, if not thousands of miles. Wow. The other, yeah. The other thing you saw was much like here, if you're driving in a downtown area where you see those big aluminum tubing structures that hold up road signs. Yeah. 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 That, that, and they look like giant hoops and you drive under them and they might say, Hey, left turn ahead or sure. straight ahead the highway, whatever. So they have those, but no signage on them. Instead they got cameras and, those cameras are taking pictures of license plates. And I want to tell you, it's not a rare occurrence. You're, if you're going, let's say, anywhere where I was, if you're going 25 or 30 miles, you might drive underneath eight or 10 of those things. So the surveillance is, is It's unreal. constant. That's So yeah. I remember talking to one of the girls that was over working, and they were t- talking about how everything they do is videoed everything and they're on a merit system as well now this merit system if you go cross on a let's say jaywalking for instance now i don't know if this is actual but if you were caught doing something illegal like jaywalking you would get a demerit and if your demerits get high enough you then can no longer get on an airplane you can no longer get on a bus no longer get on a train everything that you do is watched everything really everything they they take it for granted over there. So they do have tollways. So in a number of cases, we'd pull into a tollway just like you have over here. And you have, you might have a guy in, instead of, for example, like on, in Florida there, right there in the, you know, where you guys had tollways by the airport, for example, sure. where you had people in there manning them to make change and whatever. I can't tell you the number of times a guy stepped out with a breathalyzer and made the driver do an on the spot breathalyzer check in China. 
Yeah. Oh, I didn't so, know that. Wow. Yeah. So you're driving along and you think, well, hey, it's going to cost me 50 cents or whatever to, to go forward and go through this. Well, a guy steps out. He might breathalyze you right then and there. Well, if you don't pass the test, they just immediately pull you over and call you off to jail. Wow. And, you see, it's so, so different. Other, <clears throat> I'd be screwed, man. I took two shots before I went to the grocery store today. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's so, crazy. So, yeah, I, I don't know if you want to run down this rabbit hole, but I was going to do it this episode anyway. I, I tell you what, when this whole thing started, just knowing the workers that I've known, knowing the way they live over there, uh, knowing the separation between the have and the have nots in the government system, I said from day one that when we put that 25% tariff on China, it, it hurt them. I mean, they're already in economic breakdown before this even happened. And I truly believe that this coronavirus was the Chinese government inf infecting some of their own people, which their people really are, are rats to them, and sending them around the planet. And getting everybody on the same playing ground is they're on in financial disaster. What, what are your thoughts? If you don't want to run down this, you don't have to. It's just my two cents of what I feel is going on right now. So, Dave, you know I love you, and I consider you a close friend. I, and I, and I, I'm, I'm prefacing what I'm about to say is, you know, you you and I have talked about this, and and just from a from an outside perspective, that might be a reach because you might say, well, how can a government kill all their own people? Sure. Now, and I don't spend any amount of time reading the news or watching TV because it's so that wet blanket of of uh, negative energy is really a a, a, a unmotivator for an optimistic guy like myself but sure. there might be some merit of truth so yesterday the one that i watched the news every day while i eat lunch for two minutes yeah and uh there was a there was a report on the news that said um that the in wuhan where the virus first emerged has one of china's uh virology research centers yeah one of the and, largest in the planet yeah yeah, and and apparently the Chinese government isn't necessarily de debating the fact that it's possible that the coronavirus emerged there, did escape their laboratory, and got into the marketplace. That's what within ten miles. Right. Right. Yeah, and they're saying they're saying that it was an intern that possibly accidentally uh, carried it out and got yeah. it out into the public. And I also have a story here in front of me that says that China has admitted that they vastly underreported their COVID-19 death toll. Um, and this is China actually revised its own coronavirus related death toll from uh, 3,342. They moved it up to 4,632. Uh, so a 1,300 uh, death difference. And they say that it was mostly because people were dying in their homes and then there were other people in hospitals that are not connected to their epidemic network. Yeah, this is the same country that has face recognition on everything that you yeah. do. Well, you have yeah. to remember. Now, I don't. I'm not saying that this. I'm not trying to defend them in sure. any way. But you have to remember they are that government that we've been discussing for the last twenty right. minutes that uh, has control of everything. So in Wuhan, they said you guys are staying in your house and we'll bring you food, but you're not allowed to leave. Right. 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 So then, whenever they finally lift all of that, they're like, okay, we think it got it under control. They go to somebody's house, knock on the door, and there's no answer, and they're like, oh, he. Died. Uh, so you know what I'm sure, saying? So sure. that, yeah, so there's gonna be some of those that they couldn't that they report missed. until that yeah, until they got it. But yeah, yeah they've upped it. So now at four thousand six hundred and thirty two, but they admit openly that they uh, underreported initially. So I 
it, it wouldn't surprise me if there was a zero added to that number. I yeah. mean, when you look at the number of deaths already in the United States on a country that's about the same size and a society that lives far closer and with far more intimacy than in terms of contact with each other and how they live with, with a, in a much more confined society, I got to believe that their numbers are at least as high as the United States. It only stands to reason. Right. Well, I don't I don't buy into the conspiracy theory that they did it on purpose. I buy I definitely buy and they haven't even actually proven that it was born out of a Chinese lab. They're just saying this is our theory. This is our working theory. We're investigating this. Um, Yeah. But um, but I would buy that before I would buy China released it on their own people and the hopes that they would travel around the world. And you know what I mean? Like, well, I I see it it seems like they're economic. They're in economic trouble. Like they can't feed their people. They had rioting in the streets before this whole thing happened. Yeah. And maybe, you know, I, yeah, sometimes I do fall down the conspiracy theory rabbit hole, but this is a country that's been cheating uh, us for years and years and years and years. And like, if I, if you and I were playing a game, let's say we're playing Monopoly mm-hmm. and every round I put an extra $300 in my pocket or in my bank account, you know, I'm yeah. a game of Monopoly. How long are you going to let me cheat? Right. And they have been cheating on, on equal trade for years and years and years since, since our industrial revolution, actually since world war two. Yeah. You know, and it's, I mean, it's I, consistent. I hear you and I get it, but I feel like if they were going to do something on purpose to try to equalize the go- global economy and get it back down to their level, like you were saying, sure. Um, I feel like there would be a more controlled plan. Like you've got to think like Dr. Evil from, Austin Powers like he's going to have a controlled plan. It may not work, but I think they're in panic. But I don't I don't think that you and I could be off. I could be way wrong. Hey, we're all speculating. We're just we're all spitballing here. But I feel like they would have a more controlled plan, not just let's release a virus and just see what happens, because you don't know what everybody's reaction is going to be. Sure. And and, and they might be able to control it like that. And so your goal could be the whole world's looking at him right now going, uh, you got some splaining to do. Yeah. yeah, Lucy, (laughs) Lucy, you got some splaining to do. (laughs) Yeah. You go, you go hang 10 round. eye. (laughs) (laughs) yeah, these, these, these people are not stupid. They're, they're intelligent people. They get it. And they're, they're very, very crafty. Um, they're, if they if this wasn't going to be an intentional thing, the Chinese have look at look at their industrial espionage and their history of industrial espionage. Well, that's my point. It would yeah. be a more and, controlled plan. It wouldn't just be like let's willy nilly let this go and see how people react. That's that's what I my point is. Yeah, I I, I tend to agree with that. I, I I struggle with the conspiracy component, but hey, you know I'm not sure we'll ever get the whole story. And given the way they elect to release information that's always tainted or twisted to some perspective. We'll, we'll never know. I do yeah. think if anything, it's going to bring more manufacturing back to the USA, which is good. You know, I mean, oh, absolutely. It's devastating it's, what we're going through right now, but I mean, the, our infrastructure needs a lot of help. It does, but it's you know? good. I say it's good and it's bad because when I go to the grocery store and I need to buy, um, I don't know, a fan for my, uh, for the studio. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm I'm okay with paying fifteen or twenty dollars for that fan, but if we bring that manufacturing to the U.S., where the laws are different, the labor laws are different. It's going to change. Suddenly, suddenly, that fan is now forty dollars. Well, it's and it, yeah, it's, it's, it's the labor laws. But, yeah, and the, but the, that's why the people are popping. That's why they're rioting in the streets because they are working. Yeah, yeah. Some of them want the extra overtime, but a lot of them are overworked. Yeah, and, but like you think that the iPhone is expensive at a thousand dollars? Yeah. 
you wait till it's two thousand dollars because they brought all the manufacturing to the U.S. Yeah, and I get it, and I know that that's good for our economy. What do you feel about that, Mark? Because you are in manufacturing. You've been you've been manufacturing for years. What's your perspective on that? Well, there's a couple things that were eye openers for me when I got over there. Their culture and their whole Chinese regime is based upon oneness, and their culture is about you work for the government and the government owns you and Heaven forbid that there should be any sort of personal identity. Those people all look the same. And it, it's not like the culture that we have in the United States. And, and it's one of the few cultures anywhere in the world where the way their people look and they dress is, is universally the same. And they really shun individualism. Now, think about every single product in America and how it got developed. Sure. You had you had somebody or or a small group of people that says, hey, I have an idea, whether it's tires, watches, iPhones, boats, airplanes, whatever. You can trace almost every single unique. And I don't mean unique product. I mean, every single product that we use today and and or a brand back to an individual or a group of individuals that started a company that says this is who we are. This is what we believe. And we have the right to freedom and the freedom to express ourselves, and we are going to do this. Right. And as a result, pick your guy. You mentioned Carnegie earlier. You got guys like Henry Ford, Thomas Edison. I mean, it, the list is, is yeah, exhausted. It's endless. And sure. so and and so over there, they don't have any of their own brands. They don't. Everything that they want as a culture, if, if you become wealthy over there, you don't want Chinese-built stuff. Sure. You want stuff built. You want a BMW from, from Germany. You yeah. want... You want a Boeing airplane built in in Washington. You want a you want a uh, an iPhone. Uh, you know you you want the brands that have been developed because at the end these people are still human beings and they respond to the same sort of uh, expression of, of of uniqueness that every human being wants because that's part of our DNA. Yeah. But the Chinese culture has suppressed that to the point where they're very good at copying things, but they can't innovate anything, and as a result. Look at their army. They they copy tanks. They copy airplanes. They yep. copy aircraft carriers. They copy cars. They it's it's a, it's a very unusual circumstance if you see anything that was was innovated, developed, and built in China, but you do see everything built in China, whether it's countries from India or or Europe or the United States that say, hey, I just need a I just need a cheap labor pool. Can't yeah. beat China. And see, and that's and why that's- I believe that guys like you and I who have climbed a ladder of not just uh, in our work life, but in our sports life, um, you know, I, I needed that drive to climb that next rung of that ladder. And as a, as my DNA, as you said, it's a, that's my human necessity is to, to continue to better myself. And luckily in America, we have that mentality and we grew up with it and we everybody around us has done it. And, and I feel like there's gotta be people over there that have that feeling. There's gotta be somebody sitting in one of those quiet little towns going, I want better, I wanna climb this, I wanna, you know. Yeah, those are the well, people you know, that move to America and own the uh, supermarket down here. Right, Yeah. <laughs> right. That's right. Well, Dave, look at look at your trajectory through life. You're a guy that is at a, from a young age said, hey, I have an affinity to wakeboarding yep. and you love it. And you've been doing it since the very beginning. You're one of the godfathers of the sport. You continue to do it and you love it with every fiber of your soul. Sure. And you got to the X Games. You got to the, the highest pinnacle points 
in that sport to express yourself. Okay. So if you, if you use that same model across all sports uh, in China, they don't have that. If they said, "Uh Oh, we have to have wakeboarders that can compete at an extraordinary level in wakeboarding. They would probably go find some gymnasts because they've already got those Olympic training programs and they select those people from a very young age and they'd say, okay, now we got to have, we got to have people that can compete in wakeboarding. They don't look back and say, well, let's go find the guys that have been doing it the longest and are good at it and help them to grow their, their own capabilities. They go out and and hand pluck certain individuals and say, okay, now you are going to be a wakeboarder and you're going to have to perform to a certain athletic level and capability and we will help get you there it's yeah. not like it's not like going out on any of the lakes that you find there in central florida and going well geez there's thousands of people out there just enjoying it and, and are doing it at a recreational level right. and we can pick from them and help them grow it's 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 a it's and a they also don't get process. the media coverage do they i mean like they, they don't get facebook they don't get they don't get to really follow that dream of climbing uh well you know so you yeah i get so Every day, because the time frame difference was almost exactly 12 hours from where I was, it does throw off your, your biological clock. So I didn't have any problem getting up really early to go work out. And I was staying in an international hotel, so they had European news channels and some U.S. channels, but not many. But if you watch the Chinese channels, everything, because it's Chinese government owned, they essentially don't have anything that's real. They're going to show you some stories about whatever, but they're not going to show you any of the rioting going on in hong kong they're not going to show you any of the controversial stories about uh what's going on in their country that is all stripped out i have to tell you so when i left the hotel every day i left there with a little spring in my step there wasn't any holy cow there was a mass shooting in chicago and the death toll in chicago alone is over four thousand this year or the bus strike in los angeles or the weather is killing people in montana you know, whatever, all that stuff that we have over here that, that we just take for granted, if you step back and look at what it is, our news service is is a business. And it's yeah. selling, it is selling uh, fear. sensationalism. Yeah. Well, it's selling sensationalism, it's selling fear and whatever, and we just take it for granted. If you could imagine your news, it's a little bit like those fantasy movies where it's just unicorns and rainbows when you turn on the TV over there. Yeah. Those, their their entire culture is oblivious to well, what's we had going the one on around girl. the world. Well, we we had the one girl. She was so sweet. I'm not going to say her name, but she was such a sweet girl. And she was working for the factory. And she was just, everything she saw every day was new. Yeah. It was, she was like, what? what? This is amazing. And then yeah, she had yeah. to go back to live in the dorms. And Mark actually had a nice little talk with her. And what a sweet, sweet girl. But I could see in her that if you opened up the if everybody in the country could see what she saw, wow, it would change everything. And that's probably one of their biggest fears. But I see what uh, Mark was, yeah. his point is, is that there is, and, 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 and here's what I got out of what you were just saying anyway, that there is kind of an attraction to the fact that it's very controlled over there in the fact that you don't wake up every morning to bad news. Uh, somebody got shot. Somebody burned down their mom's house because they were high on meth. Uh, there was a mass shooting at somebody's school and 18 kids got killed. Uh, you don't hear about that stuff over there because it is such a controlled environment. So, one, it, it doesn't happen. Or when it does happen, it's not in the news. You know what I mean? Right. Um, well, so- exactly. I, I, 
I was so blown away and in, in a positive way. And I was so impressed with what I saw and the people and their culture and their level of happiness and satisfaction and life and culture and work and all that. But F and, and, and again, I'll just reiterate as a kid growing up in the Midwest that had a very, very different view of, of a very oppressive culture. You didn't see it you, yeah. at the air, at the airports and on street corners. You never saw military. You didn't, you on only on a rare occasion. Did you ever see police? And that is because the whole country is such a surveillance state that they don't necessarily need it. And after getting over there and understanding that everything they do, every single app on their phone, every single phone call they make is recorded by the government and surveilled. And so whether you're driving your car and you're getting breathalyzed on a indiscriminate basis or all the things we've been talking about, I asked them because I, I'm, I'm looking at this going, this would make the average American so paranoid. They wouldn't be able <laughs> yeah, to it seems so oppressive. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and I asked them about it and they're like, well, yeah, the government just watches everything we do, everything we do. And they're okay. With and, it. yeah. And because that's what they gr- they've grown accustomed to, whether they've grown up with it or it's just so ubiquitous that they can't help it. It's just it is what it is. Yeah. And I that to me is, I, you know, I've got kids and I've talked to them about the surveillance and by by and large, they go, well, big deal. What do I what is it that I have that the government couldn't couldn't watch? And I bristle at that because there <laughs> there's an old saying that's like if, if somebody's going to follow you around they don't have to follow you very long before they're going to find you broken some law somewhere. Right. And, 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 or how would you like to have a camera in the corner of your living room watching your every move? Ooh, it's just not me. There'd be a whole <laughs> lot of me masturbating. <laughs> it's, just, it's just, it, it's, uh, it, it, in my mind, it should make you concerned. And yet we're, we're moving to that state and you can go over to China and see how it's already evolved to a point where it's probably way past the point of no return over there. I feel like and, there is a happy medium, though. Like, so China is probably the extreme to one end of the spectrum where, you know, our freedoms here in America, like you got people that are protesting the stay-at-home law, even though it's our stay-at-home order, rather, uh, that even though it's probably for the best of the society, there are some people that are going, I'm not staying in my house. Screw you. you I have silver liberties. And there's a there's kind of a, a drawback to that. Like, yeah, you do have the right, but it goes back to that, you know, where do your rights end and my rights begin? Uh, you know, you can't just go into a crowded movie theater and yell fire. Well, the world's a stuff. different place today. I the know. The world is a different place. So at, my, my point is, is there's got to be some sort of happy medium between extreme control from the government and then having enough control from the government to make sure that the society is safe, but still allowing room for capitalism and people to follow their dreams. And I'm hoping that eventually, as a society, even as a country, that we can move to that because the government has to have the power to govern. And uh, and I'm sorry, but there's one party that is like, we need less regulation, less regulation, less regulation. And then whenever a, a pandemic like this breaks out, people don't have the power to do the things that they need to do because all of the regulation got took, taken away. So there's got to yeah. be a happy in-between somewhere in there well the the planet's changing and artificial intelligence is not going to slow down it's it's unfortunately it's part of our life now it's going to continue yeah. to grow um yeah it's just a matter of are, what can we deal with the way we've grown and been raised and the way we've built the country the way it is yeah and what can we handle from from others you know and uh you know what 
it's, it's, I got to give you a quick analogy. So I was out running some errands for my wife this morning and I'm thinking to myself, it's weird that we're even having this conversation because I'm thinking to myself, there was a cop that was sitting, I came down this long pitch and there was a cop sitting there at the bottom of the hill and he's radaring people and that's his job. And I get that. And, and I don't have a problem. Right. With it. And I'm thinking to myself, he's sitting there in a well-marked car in an obvious location and he's basically advertising the fact that he's there. And hey, if you want a ticket today, I'm here to give you one. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Now, and con- conversely, if you go back 20 years or 30 years, I I knew police officers that did their best to conceal themselves. They'd hide behind trees. They'd sit in the shadows. They would oh, hide behind yeah. bridge obstructions, whatever. And the, the difference, I think, relative to what you're talking about is. I think you have to assume the best in people. And when, when you flip over and you assume the worst in people and it's, you're just waiting to catch them. That is when you end up with a surveillance state that becomes a militaristic uh, entity that's constantly monitoring its people with the intent of surveilling you for penalizing you. Whereas the cop that's sitting there today, to me, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, Hey, human beings, at least where I live, I was, I was, complimenting the fact that hey at least these guys have figured out how to say hey we're here in society we are here to help you as opposed to penalize you and it's a it's a mind shift from expecting the best as opposed to expecting the worst yeah. now the chinese the chinese i think are, are different from the perspective they are expecting the worst they don't want you buying a five gallon can of gas because god's sake you might go pour it on your neighbor's house and burn it down or make <laughs> right. a molotov cocktail or or certainly not mow your yard or go for a ride in your boat. Yeah. Um, whereas I got, I, I'm hopeful because I do agree with you. I'm hopeful that the that as our culture grows and maybe in a future that is beyond us, they look at it and say, well, we we want to make sure that we give everybody the opportunity to grow and have the liberty they ex- they expect, and we we're going to do it in a way that's supportive as a way as opposed to uh, a penalizing system. Yeah, absolutely. I don't, does absolutely. that make sense? Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely man. Yeah. So, Mark, you got to hold on. I, I want to get into something good. For, we're going to wrap this here in just one second. But I, I let me brag about Mark for a second on okay. his water skiing. So, right. Mark is uh, he's still uh, an avid slalom skier. I spent time at his house last year, and he looks forward to daily. He's got his guys, and he gets out there and skiing. You're right around the corner, man. You're going to be skiing here in about another month, maybe. How about in a couple hours? Uh, no shit. Even Are you getting out there? Yeah. Well, the ice went off three weeks ago, so it's we're good to go here. The water temp is almost forty, and uh, it's sunny here today, so we're gonna go. <laughs> Are you oh really gosh. going today? You got to put a wetsuit on yeah, for absolutely. that, right? Oh, I love it. Yep. I love it. You put a wetsuit on for the, for, for yeah. forty. <laughs> yeah, he he wears shorts. Well, he wears shorts every day of the year. He doesn't wait, care where he is. But wait a minute, if the water is like forty degrees, you're wearing a wetsuit. I'm probably, assuming, right? Probably not. Uh, yeah, I'm probably going to wear a wetsuit. I, I, one of the guys I ski with in the group I've skied with, I've skied with him for over 20 years. There's one guy in the group, unless it's 80, he wears a, a baggy style dry suit. Oh, so that's funny. Several years ago, we're in the boat and it's a day like today where it's early in the spring. The ice is gone out. The, the air temp is 60 or 65 and he's suiting up and I go, I won't reveal his name. I go, you know what? I'll bet it's not even that bad. I'll bet I can just get in the water with just my, just my swim trunks on and my life jacket and just go for it. And so I did. And yeah, when I first got in, it's, it was breathtaking. (laughs) Wow. 
But and, I, I started doing it, and the, the reality is, if the air temp is warm, you're not really in the water that much unless you're eating it a lot, which yeah. I try not to. And so, yeah, can you do it without a without a wetsuit or dry suit? Yeah, and a dry suit certainly. I, I just find dry suit so encumbering. It's tough. It and, shuts off your air supply to your neck, and you get tired faster. I, that one cell in my head needs all the oxygen it can get. Yeah. When you put a constrictive <laughs> device around my neck, it's really painful. <laughs> I love it. What did you, didn't you win? You, you got a title a couple of years ago on your slalom. Uh, didn't, didn't you, you won, you won one of the tournaments. I, you know, I, I'm a consistent top performer in, in some of the Minnesota tournaments, but you know what? I'm just one of many and there are a lot of great skiers and, yeah, but it's uh, awesome to see. It, what I love about you, Mark, is you're still building boats. You're still in the industry, but you're still using them as well. And a lot of the conglomerates now they've turned into, you know, publicly traded companies and they're not out there doing it anymore. And and that's what I love about about you and how far you've come with the industry. You know, I, I do love it and it's who I am. And I there's nothing better than getting in the boat and making sure that it's set up right. And I don't ever want to have somebody get in the boat and and have an experience that's disappointing because it looked like a marketing executive from Frito-Lay was yeah. the guy that picked the gauges or set the controls or whatever it is. And so I do spend a lot of time talking to consumers like you do, Dave, and, and I want them to say, Hey, these guys get it. Yeah. And we, you know, I, I've often been the guy, the underdog with limited resources trying to compete in a David and Goliath scenario. And we hit, we've had success, and the reason we've had success is the the people that know how to have fun and expect a certain level of proficiency and, and engineering expertise can get get in the boats and go, oh, well, yeah. it was designed designed and built by guys like me. Exactly. And exactly. That that always wins. Yeah. Exactly. So, well, we're gonna wrap this one. Oh, no, wait, and we, we, before yeah, before yeah. you wrap it, I just have okay. a quick suggestion, Mark. Okay. Since you're uh, in the industry of making boats, you know a lot of people in the Chinese manufacturing. Um, could you please make a decent ski boat that a guy can afford on forty five k a year? That's all I'm asking. <laughs> hey, you know what? I got to tell. So if, if we got a second, I so with Gecko, we had a boat called the GTS twenty, and that boat retailed. It started at a retail of about twenty grand with a trailer and, and all the right. That's equipment. it. That's the one I Min, need. <laughs> many, many years ago, so the the tooling wore out, and the boat business evolved to more expensive price points. But I don't know, five or six years ago, I resurrected that boat. We we redid the molds. We put synthetic stringers in it. We put full digital throttle, full digital shift. We built the boat with uh, all composite materials. In other words, it would never rot. And we put in 409 horse horsepower engine as the starting engine. Everything in it was top shelf, but the interior was stripped down and it was a 20 foot closed bow boat. And it had a retail price with a trailer of 36, 995. And it's not too bad, I guess. So we we built, we built it. Yeah, so we built it for the for the purest, and the thing is a phenomenal performer. It always got great marks at the magazines. In other words, you could buy this boat and be totally uh, impressed with its performance. And I got to tell you, we had to beg dealers to take it. And really, it, it, it I would tell you from a sales standpoint, it was a failure product wise. It was a win, and what people today really want is a. If it's a Malibu response or a Mastercraft Pro Star or a Ski Nautique, what they really want is one of those hundred and ten thousand dollar boats for fifty grand. Right. And that that's what people in, in today's market 
are saying, and that isn't going to happen. I, are those boat builders making decent margins? Yeah, they're making decent margins uh, enough to survive in an industry that's not only seasonal, but it's cyclical. And so they're not necessarily gouging consumers at that price point. But uh, you look at what's going into boats today. And if you're a boat builder and you're saying, hey, I can build, I can fill up my entire production building boats that cost one hundred and fifty to $250,000, you're going to do that and be motivated to do that because you're the greed takes over, like Dave said, with all these companies that were once started by enthusiasts and passionate people about the, the activities that they loved are now owned by publicly traded entities or holding companies that look at one thing. Hey, dollar signs. How many just how, how many how many boats did you sell yesterday and what yeah. was your profit margin? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, it's sad. It's sad, but we, you know, hopefully we'll reboot. I mean, we've been disking lately, and yeah. hopefully, you know, you know uh, the disc I, is back. <laughs> I think my dream of owning a decent boat one day is just gonna, just never gonna happen. Well, That's the you don't have to. Have, <laughs> it depends. It's more important to have fun on the water than it is to be so worried about the the high-end aspects of the sport. Well, yeah. And that's the growth, and that's what we're going to try to pull back. And Mark and I will be introducing, I'm, I'm not going to give it away yet, but Mark and I will be introducing something really exciting real soon, okay. and all the listeners are going to be interested in this. All right. But hey, Mark, what yeah. a surprise. What a surprise. Hey, absolutely. Always enjoy talking to you, Dave. It's great to meet your team there today. Thank you very much for the opportunity to catch up with you guys. Always appreciate that. I Thanks. appreciate it, too. And I, I will call you back. This is so bizarre that Mark called me in the middle of the podcast and he came on. I can't I can't appreciate or give you more appreciation than, than uh, what I did right there. Mark, Mark actually on LinkedIn, too, he writes a lot of business articles um, that are really interesting and good reads. So if you look up Mark Overby on LinkedIn, you can probably tap into some of his uh, articles there and see some of the stuff that he's into. Uh, on behalf of myself, Mike Lee, you have anything to add, brother? No, man, that was great. Thanks, Mark. It was nice to meet you, brother. Yeah. Mike, always great to, to meet new people, and I uh, appreciate what you guys are doing, not only individually, but for the sport, too. Thank you. Right on. Thanks, everybody, and we will catch you next time on The Outside Edge. Outside Edge.